Well, good morning, Southview. How are we? Did you get a little wet this morning? A little liquid sunshine. Glad that you're here today. If you're a guest with us, welcome. My name is Brad. I'm the pastor here at Southview, and it's so great to have you with us worshiping the Lord today. Uh, I want to read some scripture to us as we begin our time together. As we jump into the scriptures uh, later on, we're going to be in Acts chapter 2. So I just want to read that first verse to you as set the stage. Acts 2 verse 42. So the Spirit of God fell. Um, uh, they uh, uh, began speaking in uh, languages. People began hearing the glories of God in their own language. Peter stands up, preaches a message, um, and thousands of people come to faith in Christ. They just got through praying for 10 days, he preached for 10 minutes, and 3,000 people get saved. We pray for 10 minutes, preach for 10 days, and three people get saved, right? Our zeros are in the wrong place. I want to encourage us this morning to set our hearts and our minds into the text and see again what God was doing there. How God gripped them and changed them and molded them and brought them together. Changing them, changing their lives, and then through them, subsequently changing the world. Because they gave themselves. They saw who God was and they gave themselves to him. And as a result, he put them into a a new family called the church. And through that church, began blessing Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria... To the ends of the earth. Acts chapter 2 verse 42. When they got gathered together it says. And they devoted themselves to the apostles teaching. And the fellowship. To the breaking of bread. And the prayers. And I want us today just to kind of. We're going to dive into this again in just a few moments. But I want us to let these words resonate in us. They devoted themselves. There's a difference between giving your, doing something and being devoted to something. 
they devoted themselves to the teachings. They devoted themselves to the fellowship, to the breaking of bread, to the prayers. And we'll unpack all of that in just a few moments. But I want to ask, are you devoted to the things of God? Are you devoted to God? Have you given yourself to Him? Have you seen how much He's given to you? And as a result, you have no choice but to give yourself to Him. I'm going to ask you to bow your heads for me. Uh, yesterday, I was outside grilling uh, some hot dogs and hamburgers for dinner for the family. And my eight-year-old daughter walked out. And you always know when your kids have been thinking, right? They just come up with random questions. She just walks up to me randomly and says, Dad, at what age do you start loving God? What do you mean? And she started talking about just things that she'd been thinking about and I said, well, baby, there isn't a, an, a specific age. It happens at different points in, in lives. But at whatever age it happens, you're going to love God because you see how much God has loved you. That's what drives you to love Him, seeing His love for you. And as we talk today about being devoted to things, we're going to be devoted to things because we see how much he has given to us. We give ourselves to God when we see how much he has given himself to us. So I'm going to ask today, Holy Spirit, that's exactly what you'll do. You'll stir in us today first to see how much you've given to us, to see how much you have done to make us right with you. And as we see clearly who you are and how much you've given to us, now we're going to be empowered and desire and long to devote ourselves to you. You don't work that up. You don't manipulate that. You don't white-knuckle that. You are devoted to God when you see how much God has given to you. So I pray, God, that you'll open up our hearts and our eyes to see that today. Thank you, Lord God. Do this in us for your glory. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Hey, let's stand, guys. Let's worship the Lord together. Good morning, church. Let's celebrate these truths. God is glorious and worthy to be praised. Sing of the greatness of our God, all the things He's done. From the dawn of creation, this world has been crying out for hope, for a hero to save us. We long for the supernatural. But there is only one God to save a day. Let's clear the stage, prepare the way. Cause heaven and earth are singing. Glory, hallelujah, let the whole world see the greatness of our God. In awesome wonder, He reigns forever. We know the greatness of our God. His power is endless, He lives within us. We know the greatness of our
desires of our hearts would match the words we sing, that you would truly be glorified in this place today.
see the church. Gentle and lonely help me with how to know Christ's heart because I used to think oh it was different or I looked at him different but it really goes into detail about knowing his heart and how he is and and how he loves me. My prayer changed because now I know I know he was listening to me before but now I know he's like there for me so this class really helped me in that what i learned in the class journey into god's word is basic tools into helping me get more out of my daily bible reading such as reading a passage several times so i can understand the context of what it meant to the people in bible times as well as what it could mean to me as well as learning even just english tips and how things are worded and what words are used so that I can really understand what God's trying to tell me in everyday passages that I might have read a million times. This is a good class to take and it's really helped me in my journey and trying to understand the Bible more. When Jesus demands of the world, I learned God is uh, uh, your highest treasure. Not to value the things of the world, your true treasure is in heaven. Cindy and I took the journey into God's Word class to become more astute of God's Word. Um, we have studied Bible um, studies before and this one was more in depth. It was more challenging. Um, I think it, uh, it made you look deeper into the Word versus a casual, what does that mean type thing. And I think what I got out of it was just a deeper sense of who God is. If I forget what something means or I'm looking for something, I, I learned the tools to, to, to find what it means. I learned where to go um, so that I don't, I don't have to be deceived, which I think is the biggest thing, especially today. Um, I want to know God's word. I want to know who he is and what his promises are to me and for me and for the world. And I can't do that just by just by reading a couple of chapters um, and then getting up. Journey to God's word class taught me a lot about how to read the Bible um, from the beginning to the end, not just the paragraph, um, also the words that there is in there, um, how to understand them, what they really mean, um, and encourage me to read the Bible more, um, to understand it, not just to read it, like to read it. Um, it helped me in that way. Um, I really enjoy that class. Let's try something else.
One, two, three. Four, five, six. All right. I'm going to feel like one of those old school evangelists today. This is awesome. Get to walk around with my mic. It's great. Uh, well, um, so the video there was about our equip classes. So we have our, our small group ministry breaks down into two categories. Our journey groups, which is a group that you're a part of that you'll be in with basically the same people every week, going through God's word, praying for one another, encouraging one another. And then we have equip classes. Equip classes are sort of our big rocks of the Christian faith. These are sort of foundational things for your walk with Christ. How do you study God's word? How do you live out God's word? How do you really understand who Jesus is? And when he says, follow me, what he's talking about there. Um, my yoke is easy and my burden is light. Follow me. What does that mean? How do we live that out? These are the classes where we want to help you do that, all right? So I encourage everyone, if you have not, you can text the word EQUIP to our number, 910-424-1298. Text the word EQUIP there. And what you'll be able to do with that is find all the classes that we have coming up uh, this fall and then select one and get signed up for it. I really strongly encourage you to do this. It is a wonderful ministry. We're excited about it. We're adding classes every semester. Uh, so go take a list. Go take a look at the full list, everything that we have there, and sign up. I promise you God is going to bless uh, and minister to you in that process. All right. Hey, if you have a Bible, let's find Acts chapter 2 together, all right? Acts chapter 2. So we're, we're going through our series, we're calling uh, the story. And the idea is we're seeing the big story of God. And so what we've seen is that God created, man rebelled, but then God pursued us in Christ. And he pursued us, he died on the cross for our sin, he was buried, he rose again. And then after rising again, he ascended up into heaven and sit down his spirit. We see that in the book of Acts. And then God created and formed the church. He put together the church. And that's what we're going to see today is the role of the church. Now, I know it's become increasingly popular to feel and believe and say things like, well, I, I pursue Jesus but I don't really crazy about the church. Pursue Jesus, but shun the church. Or even saying things like, I love Jesus, right? I just hate church. You hate church? You do know Jesus calls the church his bride. He loves his church. Ephesians 5 says he gave himself for his church. The, the big idea that I want you to see today is this. You cannot find your place in the story of God if you do not find your place in his church. Can't do it. By God's design, you fulfill his purpose, and you become conformed to the image of his son, and you bear out his fruit, and you minister in his name within his church. You cannot fully find your place in God's story for your life if you do not find your place in his church. So let's talk about church for a second. So when you think about church, what do you think of? 
Um, do you think about a building, right? Do you think about programs? Do you think about a place that you show up to get sort of religious instruction? Uh, I want you to know that while all those things may be kind of technically true, right? We, we have a building, we have a location, and we have programs and, and, and all those things. Yes, when God talked about his church, he, he had a different idea in mind. Uh, the word of the New Testament for church is ecclesia. It, it means a group of people that were called out of something and gathered together for a greater purpose. When God has a vision for his church, he thinks about something very different than most of us think about. Ephesians chapter 3, verse 10. Listen to how he describes his vision for his church. Through the church, the manifold wisdom of God might now be made known to the rulers and authorities in the heavenly places. So who are rulers and authorities? Um, that phrase, rulers and authorities, in the Bible is used for angels and demons. Angelic beings. Both those that are submissive to God and follow God and those that rebelled against God. These rulers and authorities. Listen to what Ephesians 3.10 is saying. God's plan for the church is that we would be so gripped by the gospel of Jesus Christ, so changed by the grace of God, so filled with the power of his spirit, so in love with him, and so loving one another, that angels and demons look in here and with their angelic spiritual jaws dropped say, how did God do that? How did he do that? Right, so that's what God's been doing this whole time. He's been, he's been making them. God's plan for the church is not just that we would be a nice place with a nice pastor and nice music and nice kids ministry and give you a cup of coffee. God's plan for the church is that we would be so gripped and changed by God himself that angels and demons stand in awe. This is God's church. We have allowed a very cheap, very artificial, fake thing to come into its place. We've allowed a counterfeit to set itself up. And we judge whether or not we like the counterfeit and not realizing that we're not even looking at what God intended for his place to be. He meant for his church to be something different. He meant for his church to be so gripped and changed and in awe of God. So absolutely overwhelmed by the glory and grace of the gospel of Jesus Christ that even angels and demons look into it and go, so that's what God's been doing. That's what God's been doing. Taking rebels and turning them into his kids. Taking sinners and turning them into saints. Taking people who are selfish and turning them into passionate, selfless lovers of one another. So that's what God's been doing this whole time. That's, that's the point. So how do we, how do, we do that? Right? Well, what does it look like? That's why we want to go to Acts chapter 2. If we want to see a bit of a glimpse into what God is doing, 
how he's doing it in his church, what God desires for his church to look like, and how we get there, Acts 2 is the place that we want to go because this is the birth of the church. This is the beginning of the whole thing. And so in this, we want to be able to see. So, so that's what God is doing. That's what he intended. Right? We go back to the beginning and from there determine what today looks like. So Acts chapter 2, let's start in verse 42, all right? Acts 2, verse 42. And they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and the fellowship and the breaking of bread and the prayers. All right, stop for a moment. If you have your Bible, I would encourage you to circle the word devoted, right? Circle that word devoted. This is what we're going to kind of drill down on a little bit, all right? Devoted. The word devoted means to wholly and completely give yourself to a thing, right? We, 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 we chatted about this at the beginning. There's a difference between doing something and being devoted to it, right? There are things in your life that you do, and there are things in your life that you are devoted to. And it says here that these people were devoted to these things. When you think about devoted, so think about it sort of like if, you, if you're in a business or organization or nonprofit or, 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 or the military or whatever, uh, think about it in terms of core values, right? If you're, or you're in an organization where you have core values, what's a core value? A core value is supposed to be these are the things that we hold on to no matter what. These are the foundations. These are the bedrocks. We devote ourselves to these things. This may change and that may change, but this stays the same. These are our core values. Think of this as their core values. They were devoted to these things as the foundational rock on which everything else was going to be built. A lot of things changed for this church. right? Their leadership changed. People got killed. More leaders had to pop up. They sent out missionaries. They started having hiccups and issues within the church. They needed to change their structure to meet those needs. A lot shifted and a lot changed. But what they were devoted to stayed the same. So it's important for us to see what it is they were devoted to. Because what they devoted themselves to is to be what we devote ourselves to. What they thought was a core value needs to be what we think of as a core value. How we go about doing it is different. They didn't have electronic amplification. They didn't have things that we have, so how we do it might be different, but what we are devoted to needs to stay the same. So what is it that they were devoted to? Let's see it. So again, looking at this scripture, Acts 2.42, and they devoted themselves, it says here, to four things. The apostles' teaching, the fellowship, the breaking of bread, and the prayer. So let's unpack those for a second. First, the apostles' teaching. They were devoted to the Bible. This is what we was talking about with the apostles' teaching. The apostles' teaching included the old, what we know as the Old Testament, as well as the life, the miracles, the teachings, the death, burial, resurrection, ascension of Jesus, and how that applies to their life. All right? They were devoted to God's Word. They gave themselves to it. They loved the Bible. They loved the teachings of God, and they devoted themselves to it. They sat under the teaching of God's Word like a waterfall, just asking God to keep pouring more and more and more onto them. How would that, why would that make angels and demons stop in awe? People devoted to a teaching. 
Why, why would that be a big deal for the angelic beings to say, oh, my goodness, so that's, that's what you're doing? Well, because these people who were devoting themselves to the apostles' teaching just a few days earlier hated God and killed his son. What's amazing about this is this. These were people who were haters of God, rebels against God. But when they saw the glory of God and the gospel of his son, they totally gave himself to his word. When they saw that God came to save them and redeem them and make them new, they gave themselves to his word like their very lives depended on it. They were devoted to God's word. Because they saw the glories of God and they were in awe of what God did to save them. Why aren't we devoted to the word? We've got a, again, one of our classes, our equipped classes is journeying into God's word. We want to teach you how to do that. Yes. But can I just real quick get on a deeper level than that? The reason that we don't get into God's word is not just because we don't know how. The reason we don't devote ourselves to God's word is because we just love other things more. And that's the fact. You get teaching and instruction from somewhere. You get encouragement from somewhere. You, you get correction from somewhere. You, 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 something in your life shapes you. That's true for all of us. Why isn't it God's word? It's not because it's hard. I love what Mark Twain said. Mark Twain said, it's not the parts of the Bible I read and don't understand that bother me. It's the parts of the Bible that I read and do understand that bother me. It's not because it's so hard. It's because we're just not submitted to the man who, to the, to the guy who wrote it. We're not devoted to him. So we're, of course, we're not devoted to his word. They were devoted to God's word. They submitted themselves to the teaching of the apostles because they were so gripped and overwhelmed by the glory and power and majesty of God who would dare save them. When you see what God did to save you, you will gladly fall on your face and submit yourself to his word. You will gladly do that. When you see what he did for you and how he pursued you, of course you're going to give yourself to him. They were devoted to the word because they were gripped by the gospel of Jesus Christ that made them new. The second thing you see says they were devoted to the fellowship. They were devoted to each other. They were devoted to each other. It says they were devoted to the fellowship. The word fellowship there is koinonia. So real quick, the word koinonia, uh, it's, it's a Greek word that, that means this, giving your life to one another. It's really interesting. That word koinonia, it is, it's the first time it's mentioned in the entire Bible. You don't see it in Matthew, Mark, Luke, John, or Acts chapter 1. You don't see this kind of fellowship coming about until the Spirit of God fills the people of God. Koinonia is a Spirit-empowered kind of giving your life to one another that can only be explained by Jesus. There is nothing else that makes sense here. There is no reason why these two people love each other. There is no reason why these two groups of people are giving themselves to each other other than the fact that they've both been changed by Jesus. In 
In fact, as you read in your English Bible there, notice it says the fellowship. There's a definitive article in front of it. In fact, if that's true in all of these things, the apostles teaching, the fellowship, the breaking of bread, the prayers. And we'll, we'll chat about those as we get to them. But this isn't just general fellowship. Like, uh, How many of you, if you grew up like me in a Baptist church, so we call it the Family Life Center now. But growing up, what'd you call it? The It was the fellowship hall. Or as I like to call it, the Garden of Eaton. You'll get that later and laugh. So, or, no, or you'll get it later and go, oh, it was so dumb. Um, when it talks about the, the fellowship, he's not just talking about getting together, eating fried chicken and macaroni and cheese, as much as those are gifts from God. He's talking about something deeper. This is the fellowship. This is a fellowship that can only be explained by Jesus. There is no earthly reason. I, you know, I'll have people come up to me and say, uh, um, hey, my wife and I, we would love to start a journey group. Um, we've got these two couples. They're our best friends. We're together all the time. Our kids are the same ages. Our husbands work together. Um, we, we, it would just, we, we're, we're doing life together so much, it just makes sense that we just become a journey group, right? And my immediate answer to that is usually no. No, you can't. You can't. Until you can come back to me and explain your plan as to how you're going to get people in your group who aren't just like you. Because that's not koinonia. That's friendship. That's good friendship. That's, that's the kind of friendship that's a gift from God. Maria and I, we have dear friends who are very similar in ages, and our kids are friends, and we love doing the same stuff together, and we hang out a lot, and those are those are gifts. I love that. But if we're talking about the fellowship, it's got to go to a different level. Because if it's just we do family life similarly and we educate our kids similarly and they're all the same ages and we do have similar lines of work and similar socioeconomic background, that's a kind of connection that can be explained in some way other than Jesus. You could all be lost and still be best friends doing that. When it talks about the fellowship here, it's talking about a connection and a community that does not make sense other than Jesus. If you were to back up in Acts chapter 2, you see that there's a people, 16 different people groups that are hearing the glories of God proclaimed and become believers in Jesus Christ. Different languages and backgrounds and socioeconomic and all these things. And they come together. In this amazing and powerful way. And it describes a little bit of what that community looks like. Jump down to verse 44. And all who believed were together and had all things in common. And they were selling their possessions and belongings and distributing the proceeds to all as any had need. And day by day, attending the temple together and breaking bread in their homes, they received their food with glad and generous hearts. It describes a little bit of what this community looks like. They were so gripped by the idea that God gave himself to them that they freely gave themselves to one another. And it made no sense other than Jesus. There was nothing that naturally drew them together. 
nothing that connected them, nothing that made them want to just say, that's a guy I want to hang out with, other than Jesus had made them both new, and so now they're together. And it says that they were giving their possessions to help one another. They were spending time together. They were doing that. Right? Day by day, they were attending the temple together and breaking bread in their homes together and receiving their food with glad and generous hearts. That word glad means extreme joy. That word generous heart is really cool. The word generous means it actually comes from a root word that means someone who does not trip. So here's the idea. Someone with a generous heart is someone who freely gives of their life and their possessions instead of tripping over them. When you're not generous in your heart, giving your life, giving your time, giving of your resources, giving of your money, whatever, what that becomes is something that trips you up. And so someone with a glad and generous heart is someone who joyfully gives all of that to the Lord with open hands so that they don't trip over it. When you give with a generous heart, you bless the person you give and you protect your own soul from tripping. Right? It's, it's not just blessing them, it's protecting you. He's describing the fellowship, the koinonia, something deeper than just friendship and relationship. These people have been changed by Jesus Christ so they give themselves to one another because Jesus has made them new. Jesus broke down the dividing wall. Jesus changed all that set them apart. Jesus made them new. Can I just chat for a second? The reason that you haven't given yourself to the fellowship is not because you just haven't found your people yet. It's because you haven't seen the true glories of Jesus yet. And when you really see how much Jesus has changed you, you want to be around other people that have been changed. And you want to give your life to them. And you want to freely open up your hands and say, God, whatever it is you want to take from me to give to them, to bless them, it's yours, it's for them, it's not mine, take it. Because you have been gripped by the glory of God. It's not about finding the right place with the right pastor and the right music. It's about being gripped by the gospel of Jesus Christ and giving yourself to his people. Next, they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and to the fellowship and to the breaking of bread. So, again, there's that definitive article there, the breaking of bread, not just generally. Now, if you were, again, we read verse 46. It talks about they were in the homes together with one another, breaking bread, right? Indefinite article, just generally doing it. But verse 42 has a definitive the. This isn't just any breaking bread. This is the breaking of bread. I think it's speaking of the Lord's Supper of communion. They would get together regularly and devote themselves to remembering and proclaiming and encouraging one another with the gospel of Jesus Christ. They always got together breaking the bread and drinking the cup, remembering Jesus did this for us. Jesus broke his body and shed his blood for us. Jesus made us new. So let's go live new. They devoted themselves to the gospel how it changed them, how it shaped them, how it made them new. And they encourage one another. If you read the rest of the New Testament, everything is, is around this. The teachings of the New Testament are not, don't do sexually immoral things, that's bad. The New Testament says, no, Jesus 
gave his life for you. Jesus bought you with his body, so now glorify him with your body. It doesn't say, hey, you need to forgive because, hey, not forgiving that person is like eating rat poison and hope they die. So on a practical level, you just need to forgive. It's not what the Bible teaches. The New Testament teaches it from a gospel perspective. You forgive them because Jesus radically forgave you. And when you understand how much he forgave you, now you're going to freely forgive them. When it comes to giving, it doesn't just say give your money because you should. It says, no, no, no. See that Jesus, even though he was rich, became poor to give to you. Now you freely give like Jesus gave. When it comes to pride, it doesn't just say, hey, stop being prideful and be humble. It says in Philippians 2, no, Jesus humbled himself to the point of death on the cross. Therefore, have this mind in you in the same way. You be humbled the way Jesus humbled himself to save you. Everything grips around the gospel. This is why I say this all the time. Every issue is a gospel issue. How we're going to handle everything is the gospel of Jesus Christ. This is what they did. They constantly devoted themselves to this. They did not just teach moralism. Be good. Don't be like those bad guys. Be good. No, it's Jesus Christ made you new. So they remembered that, and they celebrated that, and they worshiped that, and they encouraged one another towards that. When you encourage one another in this room, do you encourage them with the gospel? If someone comes to you with a marriage problem, how do you encourage them? Do you point them to the death, burial, resurrection of Jesus Christ that made them new and empowers them to walk through hard things, even a bad marriage? Or do you just teach them how to communicate better? When someone comes to you and talks about their wayward child, do you point them to the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus Christ that saved a rebel like you? So we're going to pray he saved a rebel like them. We point constantly to the gospel because that's our only hope. We have nothing else. Nothing else. And that's what they did. They devoted themselves to this, remembering constantly how Jesus Christ gave himself to set them free from sin, so they're going to walk free from sin. Jesus Christ forgave them, so they're going to forgive one another. Jesus Christ broke down the dividing wall that separated them from people that weren't like them, so now they can love one another because Jesus loves them. They always surrounded themselves with the gospel, and it changed them. It changed them. And then last, the last thing it says they were devoted to there were the prayers. So again, it says the. So it's probably speaking of the regular Jewish prayer times. We have these set times where they would go to the temple and pray. But the idea is still the same. They devoted themselves to prayer. Why did they do that? They devoted themselves to prayer because they knew we have no hope but God. They were in a spot where they were leaving behind everything they've ever known. And entering into a brand new thing. And the world around it hated them. And tried to kill them. They had no hope but God. So they prayed a lot. Because they knew he's our only hope. He's all we have. We have nothing to turn to. No one to turn to. Nothing we can. Only God can help us. So they prayed a lot. You know why I go through seasons of my life where I'm not devoted to prayer? It's because for some reason I trick myself into thinking, I got this. 
greatest thing God can ever do for us is to show us, no, you don't. I've told you before, do not believe the little cute trite-ism that God will never give you more than you can handle. I totally think that's a lie. I don't think it is true that God will never give you more than you can handle. Because if God never gives you more than you can handle, who's the hero? You are. Boy, look at how strong you are. Wow. And we do this, don't we? We sit around admiring one another's strength. Whoa, man, they're so strong. When the truth is, I'm weak, which is why I desperately need God. And so I constantly call out to him in prayer. God puts us in places where we have no hope but to turn to him, so we call out to him in prayer. It's exactly where they were. They were in a horrible situation. They were surrounded by people who wanted to kill them, and they were given a a mandate by God to then proclaim that message to the rest of the world that would probably end in them being killed also. How were they going to do that? They needed God, so they constantly called out to him in prayer. They were convinced of their desperate need The reason we don't pray is because we think we don't need him that much. May God show us our desperate needs so that we're devoted. And you see what happened as a result, verse 47. They were praising God and having favor with all the people. And the Lord added to their number day by day those who were being saved. God was doing this work. God was saving people. People were seeing the glory of God in and through these people, and they were drawn to it. When this kind of community exists, people who are devoted to God's word and devoted to one another and devoted to the gospel of Christ and devoted to prayer, that does supernatural things. People are seeing that, and they're drawn to that. They desire that. They pursue him. They look and go, that has to be God. There's no good way of explaining it other than that. So they flocked to the Lord, and God saved them daily, 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 daily. God was doing this amazing work. He was doing it through his people being devoted to these things. So so real quick, my question for us is, so why aren't we devoted to these things? Why aren't the people of God devoted to the church of God the way it's described here in Acts 2? And we've got all kinds of reasons as to why we think that is. Some think people aren't devoted now like they used to be because people just aren't committed to stuff anymore, right? Well, you know, people just don't commit. We've got a commitment problem. Nobody commits to anything. We don't know how to commit to things anymore. And I just think that's not true. I think we commit to what we want to commit to, right? You got a guy at work. He comes in late. He's skipping days. He's not working hard. You look at him and go, man, he just, he just isn't committed. Yes, he is. He's committed to playing video games until 3 o'clock in the morning. That's why he doesn't come into work on time. It's not that he can't commit. He's just committed to other things. He doesn't want to commit to work. Her ladies are like, I know we've been dating for 42 years. I think he's just got a commitment problem. No, he doesn't. 
He's got no problem committing to his boys. He's got no problem committing to his career. He's got no problem committing to seven fantasy football season teams this coming year. He just doesn't want to commit to you. That one's for free. I don't know who that one's for. My point is, commitment isn't the issue. The issue is, what are we committed to? Others say, well, well, the problem is the church, right? I'm not going to give myself to the church because the church hurts people. I'm not going to give myself to that because I don't want to get hurt. And to that, I would say, I completely understand. You know how I know for a fact that there are no such thing as perfect churches? Because there were no perfect churches in the Bible. Most of the New Testament was written Two letters, two churches trying to fix their jacked up issues. Right? You look at the letter to the Corinthians. We had sexual immorality and division and schism, and people were showing up to communion early and getting drunk. I mean, it was not good. He had to write this letter going, So this is not who you're called to be. Yes, churches are imperfect. And sometimes people get hurt in churches. Listen, I know, I can tell you for a fact, just for me personally, the greatest wounds I've ever experienced in my life have come through the church. Without a question, there is not even a second close. We could, we don't have time. We could tell you some stories. Really crazy ones, stuff like you're kind of kidding. Like I had, okay, so a couple. I had one guy. So I was uh, I was young in ministry. I was like 23, 24. I was just a kid. Don't hire a 23 year old pastor. Was a bad idea. So I was I was I was in the service. I'm up front, right? We're singing. Just as I am without one place, right? We're singing. I'm standing up front, and as I'm standing up front, the chairman of our deacons walks up and reaches out and grabs my hand and does the whole, you know, man hug, right, where you, 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 you handshake and then you, right, that's the, that's the safety I'm not gay arm that you put in between yourselves. And so he does that, right, he does the man hug, he comes in, and, and he says, uh, he says, you know, I didn't like that, that sermon, preacher. I was like, I'm sorry. Um, he said, so we're going to have a meeting this afternoon. We're going to vote you out. Just as I am without. I had another one where I had a guy, seriously, that um, he went online and created a bunch of fake email addresses and sent them to me to try to, pr- to try to make it sound like a whole bunch of people in the church didn't like me. And the email addresses were like, we hate Brad at Hotmail.com, right, stuff like that. And sending all these email addresses to me, like, we don't like you. I was like. Okay, but you know we can really do it, really easy search and see that it just came from your computer. Okay, you know what? Forget it. Anyway. Our, some of our best friends in church just leave us? Just leave. Like we're dead. Like don't even acknowledge our existence anymore because of some junk in their own heart. Hard things. Painful things. Things where... I would wake up on a Sunday morning and go, God, if you could just let me get into a little wreck on the way to church. Not like a big thing. I don't want anybody to get hurt, but just like a little one so I can call and go, sorry, I can't come today. That would be awesome. Never answered that prayer. But I want you to know this. 
even though I've without a doubt experienced some very painful things within the church, I can honestly tell you that I love the church of Jesus Christ more today than I ever have in my entire life. And the reason is not because the church magically stopped being crazy. It is because I am more gripped by the glory of Jesus Christ than I ever have in my entire life. And if you're gripped by Jesus, you have no option but to love what he loves, and he loves his church. So it just happens. And even though we are broken, and even though we make mistakes, and even though we're horribly imperfect, it's still the people of God proclaiming the glories of God so that God may be worshipped through all the earth. One of my favorite quotes about the church is from one of my heroes in the ministry, Charles Spurgeon. Spurgeon um, uh, was a pastor in London in the 1800s. So here's a, a, a quote from Spurgeon about the church. Spurgeon says, Give yourself to the church. You that are members of the church have not found it perfect, and I hope that you feel almost glad that you have not. If I had never joined a church till I found one that was perfect, I would never have joined one at all. And the moment I did join it, if I had found one, I should have spoiled it, for it would not have been a perfect church after I had become a member of it. Still, imperfect as it is, it is the dearest place on earth to us. My point today is not get involved with the church. It truly isn't. My point today is this. When you are gripped by the glories of God, you will love what he loves and be devoted to what he's devoted to. And God loves his church and he's devoted to his people. The reason we are not committed to his church is because we have not fully committed ourselves to him. These people in Acts chapter 2, they didn't give themselves to the church because it, it, it met all their needs and checked all their boxes. They gave themselves to the church because they were so overwhelmed with the fact that God saved them. They couldn't help but submit themselves to his word. Like the very life depended on it. And they couldn't get over the fact that God gave himself to them. So they freely gave themselves to one another. And they couldn't get over the fact that God had sent his own son to be a sacrifice in my place. And so they talked about the gospel and believed in the gospel and encouraged each other in the gospel constantly. And they were so overwhelmed by the mission God had given them and the place they had on this earth. They prayed constantly, fervently, urgently expecting God to move in powerful and amazing ways. They devoted themselves to these things because they were gripped and changed by God and them. So we'll end where we began. Our big idea, you cannot find your place in the story of God if you do not find your place in his church. They go hand in hand. But again, when we think about the church, I want us to think about God's definition of the church, not our definition of the church. And God's definition of the church is a group of people so changed and in love and gripped by God himself that 
angels and demons stare into it, shocked at all God was able to do here. God took those rebels and made them sons and daughters that loved him and obeyed him and submitted themselves to him. God took those people that are living in a world sharply divided by race and and politics and, and, and economics and put them all in one place and now they love one another? God so showed them their desperate need for him, they're constantly falling on their face in prayer because they just need God. Wow. The point of all of this is when you see how glorious and amazing God is, you're changed by him, and you love what he loves, and he loves his church. And then you give yourself to his church, and as you do that, God shapes all of this. I'm going to ask her her band to come up, and I'm asking you to, to bow your heads with me, if you will. So think about it like this. Imagine if I had, right now, just imagine in your mind uh, a box of matches. Right, you got a box of matches. So what do you do with these matches? You pull one out, you take that match, you strike it, that one match is lit. You see it in your mind, that one match is lit. But imagine if you would go into that box of matches there and light all the matches. And as a result of all those matches lit, such a fire starts that the whole box catches on fire. And now you have this giant fire raging. What's going on there? On one hand, you can look and say, well, that, that book of matches, that box of matches as a whole is on fire. Yes, but what's really happening is each individual match has been caught on fire. And when each individual match is on fire, the whole thing starts to burn. Here it is with the church. The church is devoted to God's word and God's people and God's gospel and communion with God in prayer when each individual person is devoted to these things. So for you individually, can I ask you, are you, are you devoted to these things? Have you seen the glories of God so amazingly, so sharp, so fresh in you? Have you tasted and seen how good God is? Have your uh, eyes of your heart been opened to the glories of the gospel of Jesus Christ, that he came and died and rose again to set you free and make you new? Have you been so gripped by this? Do you love him now and you give yourself to all the things that he's given himself to because you have no choice but to totally follow him? You see today that what he's given himself to is the church. So take some time this morning and ask the Lord. Are you? Are you being constantly changed by him? Are you devoted to what he's devoted to? If not, ask God to show you why. Lord God, I pray for us today that we would see, God, your work in us. We would see, God, your glory, your majesty, your power. We would be shaped and changed into your image, Jesus. We would be devoted to the things that you're devoted to. And as each one of us is, then we'll see our church as a whole devoted to these things, walking out these things. And by your grace, seeing the results that
do this work in each and every one of us, God, for your glory. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Hey, let's stand. Let's worship the Lord together.
You guys can have a seat for me just for a moment. Uh, as we wrap up our time here today, again, you all, if you're a guest with us, uh, so glad that you're here today. Uh, if you are a guest, if you can just grab your cell phone and text the word CONNECT to our number, 910-424-1298, just so we know that you were here. Uh, that would be a great way for us to get plugged in with you and how we can minister to you in the best way possible. Uh, but for everyone here today, we got our big three announcements, all right? Big three things we want everyone to know. Uh, one is this, deacon nominations. So we're in the process now of doing with our deacon nominations. Uh, you can uh, nominate a deacon, uh, a gentleman to um, potentially serve in that role by texting the word deacon to our number, 910-424-1298. Uh, second, uh, for our ladies and our men, we've got a men's breakfast coming up that's going to be on September 10th at 8 o'clock. Guys, you can sign up for that by texting the word BACON. Uh, ladies, your breakfast is coming up on September 17th, the Saturday after that, and you can text the word BREAKFAST, but I promise you will still have bacon. All right. But ladies, you can sign up by texting breakfast. Gentlemen, you sign up by texting bacon, September 10th and September 17th. And then last, our equip classes. We talked about that earlier. You can text the word equip to our number to get signed up for that. Uh, so you can sign up for all of our classes. And then for everything else we have going on, you can download our app, Southview Baptist Church, iTunes or Google Play. Get plugged in that way. You can give online, find a journey group, sign up for things, all of that right there. All right, let me pray for us. Lord, we just thank you. We thank you, God, that you love us. We thank you, God, that you gave yourself to us, that you changed us and made us new. And I ask you, God, that we would, for your glory, see that, be gripped by that, and run after you because you have done such amazing, glorious things in us. And as a result, we're devoted. We're devoted to you and to your people for your glory. Thank you, God. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. God bless you guys. We love you. Have a great week.